0: We're in our final sermon on the sermon series, uh, Family Treasures, Hope for Imperfect Families. And we've talked about passing on the gift of faith, love, grace, and perseverance. And then this morning, passing on the gift of honor. The gift of honor to have healthy, Jesus-centered relationships we need to learn how to give the gift of honor. The success or the failure of every relationship depends on if we actively give the gift of honor and learn how to receive it. Honor, like glory, has in it the idea of weight. To honor someone is to give weight to them to appraise their true value. How we honor or dishonor someone speaks to how we evaluate the significance of that person. We honor when we recognize that every individual we meet has immeasurable value in the eyes of God and learn to esteem them accordingly. The path to honoring is choosing to view a person as a treasure and then treating them accordingly. Choosing to view a person as a treasure and treating them accordingly. The path to honoring someone is a decision, a decision to place high value, great worth, or significance on another person by esteeming them as a priceless gift. Now, we're not talking here about an honor-shame culture where honor is demanded or needed. Far from it. If I'm to honor someone freely, I must first be free from the need to be honored, from the debilitating wounds of dishonor that I might have experienced, and to live in the reality of the deep honor that God has given to me. If I appreciate the rich honors that God has given me, then I can generously give the gift of honor to others, even those who I might feel don't deserve it. Jesus models honoring relationships so beautifully. We're going to be in a number of scriptures this morning going through. And uh, so it won't be one particular passage. But as I look through the life of Christ, I just see again and again how he honored people so beautifully. And yet, when you think of it on a human level, he had experienced dishonor often. He was mocked for the town that he grew up in. Can anything good come out of Nazareth? His province of Galilee was considered the backwater of the Jewish nation. He would have heard rumored whispers of rumors about his apparent scandalous parentage. He would have been ridiculed for his claims to be something more than a a poor carpenter from an insignificant place. And yet with all of that, a lesser person would have lived in shame and insecurity and been unable to show the generous respect to each person that he did. How? How was Jesus able to do it? And I think the answer is that he knew that his father honored him. It didn't matter what someone else thought, he absolutely knew that he had his father's honor and approval. So Jesus gave the gift of honor to those he met just as his father had honored him. At his baptism, God the Father publicly expressed in no uncertain terms his deep approval. This is my beloved son. I am pleased with him. Publicly honoring his son, my son brings me great joy. At the transfiguration, similarly, we hear the voice of the Father. This is my Son, my beloved, my chosen one. Listen to Him. John writes, For the Father loves the Son and shows Him all He does. He has entrusted judgment to the Son so that all may honor the Son just as they honor the Father. This beautiful cycle of honor it's not one against the other, a 0 sum game where one wins and another loses, but the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit honor each other in this shared and celebrated honor. And so Jesus never had to question the honor that his Father had bestowed on him. He knew he was accepted, loved, and celebrated, and so Jesus could then freely pass this gift on to everyone that he met. Again and again, we see Jesus modeling respectful, honoring conversations. I think about when a centurion came to him. and Now, a centurion would have been a soldier from a foreign occupying army. And Jesus offers to go to his house, a Gentile. The centurion replies, "'I am not worthy to have you at my house.'" And after he heals the son and and, and the man walks away, Jesus publicly honors him, marveling about his faith. I haven't seen faith like this in all of Israel. I think about Jesus when uh, he was invited to a meal at Simon the Pharisee's house, and a woman snuck into that meal and Jesus noticed her, and and immediately Simon said, oh, if he was a prophet, he would know this was a sinful woman, not worthy of of his attention or respect, shamed by the host. But then Jesus asks that penetrating question, do you see this woman? Oh, of course I see her. No, do you see her? Because I do. I see her as a person. I see her as worthy of my attention. And he honors the woman at great cost. Next week, we're going to hear about the Samaritan woman at the well as we continue our study in John. And we see this woman shunned by her community, living a questionable lifestyle, initially sarcastic to Jesus, but Jesus taking the high road, and from that became this beautiful, interactive dialogue where he honors this woman with the first disclosure That he is Messiah. We read the story in Mark 5 of two completely different people. Jairus, a respected community leader, Jesus is on the way to do a healing at his house. But in the meantime, a woman, not feeling worthy to even talk to Jesus, reaches out just to touch the edge of his cloak, and she's healed, and Jesus stops and turns and looks and notices her I want to pay attention to you and the people around her are like, no 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 this important person over here needs your attention and Jesus says this important person here has my attention Zacchaeus Jesus honors him by calling him and then going to his home for a meal To his disciples, he says, I'm not going to call you servants. I'm going to call you friends because I have shared my plans with you. I'm honoring you with that. Jesus had fully received the gift of honor his father had given, so he freely gave it to all that he met. He saw people as priceless treasures, worth his time, worth his compassion, as deeply significant to God, and he treated them accordingly. The Beatitudes, we read, blessed are, and embedded in that word is the idea of honor. Honored are the culturally shamed. Honored are the poor, the grieving, the persecuted, the desperate, breaking down honor and shame narratives, treating people as intrinsically worth something to God, touching lepers, treating outcasts as having infinite value. He reverses this cultural honor, redefining greatness, turning our notions of who deserves honor on its head. Indeed, he says, don't seek out positions of honor. Don't look for the best seats at the wedding. James would write, his half-brother would write in his book, He says, when you you come to church and you see a rich person, an important person, you give them the best seat, right here in the front beside Pastor Dan, right there. There's nobody there, but anyway, you seat them in this best seat, and then someone poor and insignificant comes in, you give them standing room only at the back. James says, that's not okay. He says, Has God not chosen the poor in this world to be rich in faith and heirs in the kingdom? You have dishonored the poor. You have calculated incorrectly how much a person matters. And unlike Jesus, we can treat people differently based on their perceived importance. And as such, we can be radically out of step with the kingdom of God. Yes, it's true. Certain positions carry an obligation to honor them leaders, government, and obviously honoring God. But honor is not always an upward thing. Sometimes it can come down and across. In other words, think about it God has honored us. God has honored us. That's downward honor. He's honored us by creating us in His image. We have been made in the image of God, men, women, made in the image of God, and God was under no obligation in in saving us, to save us at all, or even acknowledge us. He could have, I suppose, saved us and made us just His servants, but instead He's adopted us into His family. He's made us heirs. He's given us position. He's allowed us to reign with Him. He's made us the temple, the dwelling place of the Holy Spirit. The psalmist writes, he says, how honorable, how precious, valuable are your thoughts to me. You think of me. In Psalm 8, David just marvels, and he says, what are mere mortals? that you should think about them at all. Human beings, that you should care for them. And yet, you have made them just a little lower than the angels and crowned them with glory and honor. That is all of us as human beings in the image of God. We have value in the eyes of God. Kingdom value is upside down. You want to be the last will be first. First. You want to be great be the servant of all and so the kingdom pathway to honor is not position and status but it's downward he who is lowly in spirit will obtain honor paul writes about the body of christ in first corinthians chapter 12 and he talks about the diversity how they're all different and and no one part more important than another whatever the body part it has a valued uniqueness He's kind of mischievous with the metaphor for a while. He says, some that are, seem weaker or are actually indispensable. Some parts that seem less honorable are treated with special honor. God giving them an honor, even to those that lacked it. Every part concerned, important. We as a family have been honored to be entrusted with a special needs son. And that for us has taught us so much about what honor can look like and how it can look different. We ask, is honor earned? Is it deserved? It's beyond that. It's a decision to give the gift of honor even when it's not deserved. I love the story of the prodigal son. And of course, the prodigal son, there's no question about it, he dishonored his father. There's no other way to say it. He deeply dishonored his family. And the elder brother was only too quick to point that out. He has dishonored you, Father. He's squandered your living with prostitutes. So the son comes back and he says, I've dishonored you. I've sinned against heaven. Just make me a hired servant. And the father is not on your life. I'm going to honor you with a robe, with a ring on your finger, with shoes, with status restored. You are my son. That is the focus of the kingdom. It's not what honor do I deserve, but what can I give? We need to get over ourselves. I needed to get over myself. A couple of years ago, there was an incident that happened, and I felt really deeply dishonored. I felt that I'd been left out of a decision. I stewed on that for a while and then I began to think about the person and I thought there is no way that that person had any intent to dishonor that me. I, I know them. I know that's not in their makeup. So I thought that through and then I came together with that person. We were able to have a beautiful conversation, and a very healing conversation. And, and uh, if I'd remained in that sense of, oh, I was dishonored, that would have put a barrier in that relationship. Didn't need to be there. It's not, I was dishonored or he doesn't deserve honor, but rather in the kingdom, we can pass on the gift we've received freely freely you have received jesus says you've received honor freely give give honor we've been freely honored by god and he expects us to treat each other with that same honor decide that people are a gift each one unique and having decided they're a gift where our treasure is there our heart will be if we treasure them our heart will follow and actions will follow When we appraise a person as value and determine that person is uniquely created by God, made in God's image, they're either an actual or a potential recipient of eternal life. It changes everything in how we treat them. Acknowledging who people truly are, children of God, temples of the Holy Spirit, creations of God, It allows us to give them what they need and receive from them the gift of who they truly are. To dishonor is to treat someone as of no consequence. The idea is to dishonor is we're treating them like a mist, like like they don't matter. They're a person of no weight. If we feel that way about people we will use sarcasm. We will make hurtful comparisons. We will show favoritism or even racism as we dehumanize people. That can be the fountain for all kinds of abuse. When we go on to social media, It's amazing that we will say things, communicate things in that medium that we would never say face to face, because somehow they're a little less human when we're online, and we're a little less human sometimes. We would be wise to think of the scripture, warn them before God against quarreling about words. It is of no value and only ruins those who listen. Well, how do we build a culture of honor? We want to build a culture of honor in our relationships, in our church, in our families. And so scripture is clear, we're to honor everyone. Honor one another, Paul writes. Romans 12, he says, outdo one another in honor. It's like a a contest, a competition. See see how you could honor that person even more than they've honored you. Outdo one another. Take delight in honoring one another. Give preference to one another in honor. Honor the person above ourselves. Do nothing out of rivalry or conceit, but in humility count others as more significant than yourselves. The scriptures do single out uh, certain examples of people that we should honor. Employer, church leaders, Uh, Hebrews has a a fabulous verse about honoring church leaders. Honor them because they watch over us and they answer to God and must give an account. Do this, honor them, so that their work will not be a burden, for that would be of no benefit to you, but rather that it would be a joy. I I have the privilege now of, of sitting with the elders as they meet. And I know them to be people of such honor that it, they make it easy for us to honor them. But, but what a joy we bring to them when we make their job easier by honoring them. So we should honor people in authority. We, we should honor the king or the government uh, authority. There's a a series of videos coming from the elders very soon, and and one of them is going to be on this topic. So I won't say much about it, except the Scripture says, respect whom respect is owed, honor to whom honor is owed. So if that's uh, a leader, uh, an official, a teacher, a coach, a boss, a mentor, certainly we're to respect them. But it also says we're to respect widows, the vulnerable, not just the powerful. We're to honor our parents. Honor your father and mother. Now, this is going to look different at 5 and 25 and 50. And and then for me, it's going to look different when both my parents are are with the Lord. And I've told you before, I have a picture of my parents on the wall and I I look to it every once in a while for inspiration. But I I think, I want to honor you. I want to honor you because you've been such good parents, and and I I want to honor that memory by how I parent. I want to honor that by the kind of person that I am. Scripture says if we do that, it will go well for us. It's life-giving. I met with a couple that are going to be married in April just yesterday, and I I was encouraging them to honor their parents at that unique opportunity that you have at a wedding reception. I am so grateful for how my parents talked to each other and about each other. They honored each other and and displayed for me what a culture of honor would look like, and I've, I've tried to live up to that example. But I know that some of us carry wounds of dishonor from our parents. And Scripture, God would encourage us to break the cycle and say, from now on, it's going to be different. And display to our children what modeling parents, imperfect parents, what honoring parents looks like. Because our kids will watch and they will take cues from us on how we honor our parents. I have permission to tell this story. My, my father-in-law, um, his father... Um, could be very hurtful, and there, and there was a lot of harm done, and the family ultimately split up and went to different sections, and he didn't see his father for a, for many decades. When his father was 80 years old, he came to know Christ in a beautiful way, and he purposed to go to his children. He had 13 of them, and he purposed to go to those children and seek to make right the things that he had done wrong, and and many closed the door and didn't want to talk to him, but he came to my father-in-law, And my father-in-law opened the door, and he said, would you allow me to come in and ask your forgiveness? He opened the door and invited his father in, gave him access to his grandchildren, and recognized that he would honor this man who had hurt him deeply because he was his dad and because he now was a brother in the Lord. And this modeled honoring in a difficult context so beautifully to my wife. We're to honor our spouses. Spouses are to honor each other. Paul writes, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. In the context of marriage, each submitting to the other, marriage should be held in honor. Now, Peter writes, and it's an interesting verse, and keep listening to the end, okay? He writes, likewise, husbands, live with your wives in an understanding and considerate way. Showing honor to the woman, to your wife, as the weaker vessel. Now, Peter hadn't taken 21st century political correctness course, all right? What does he mean, though? Now, certainly, it cannot mean that a woman is weaker spiritually. That is absolutely not true, or weaker emotionally. But generally speaking, a woman is weaker physically, and in a society where power was very much with the strong and honor was was for the strong person, Peter is saying, we're going to be countercultural. We're going to say, show honor even to the one who is physically weaker. In other words, don't use intimidation. Um, don't, um, don't try to, uh, to use that to get your way and to get honor, but rather honor her, even though she may don't bully. Don't intimidate, but rather perceive her as the treasure that she is. Because in this vessel, which is the same word he uses elsewhere to talk about the treasure of eternal life in the vessel of clay, he says, appreciate the treasure she is for that vessel holds eternal life. You are co-heirs with her of the gift of life. So husbands, do you honor your wife as a precious treasure? Do you see the precious gift that she is to you? The verse goes on and says, you better do that or it will hinder your prayers. That's kind of serious. Oh God, I'd really like this new car. Would you give me this new car? Just before we talk about the car, let's talk about how you're treating your wife, shall we? There's a story told, and it's a minister, and he was going to a revival meeting, and he was uh, getting ready for that, but he and his wife, unfortunately, had a bit of a row in the kitchen. And, uh, you know, that hadn't gone well, but it was time to get to the meeting, and so he said, ah, we'll have to deal with this later. And he's leaving, and he's just sort of hurrying through a prayer, God, go with me to this meeting. And uh, he, he felt he heard God say to him, tell you what, you, you go to the meeting, have a good time. I'm going to stay with your wife here in the kitchen. <laughs> Aha! So he went back to the kitchen, made things right with his wife, and then, as it were, God went with him to the meeting. We need to treat each other, wives, husbands, with respect and with honor. We need to honor our spouse in front of our kids our friends and our family i am so grateful for my wife and i'm so grateful for how she talks about me to my kids to our kids and to her friends i'm very fortunate she practices and 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 this is so important honoring speech between wife and husband especially as others are listening and then Spouses, we need to honor each other's opinion and wisdom and ability to hear from God. Honor each other in decision-making. We describe the way that we make decisions together, husband and wife, as we wait for two green lights. If we have two green lights on a decision, we go. We both feel, yes, that's right. But if one of us has an amber light, not so sure about that, we want to take that seriously. I tend to come things quickly. So I'll come and I'll say, hey, what about this? And, and sometimes Carrie will go, mm, I, I don't know about that. Now, I've learned that that's not the time for me to try to convince her of how right this decision is. Rather, if I just, okay, often she'll go away, she will pray, she will consider, and often two weeks later she'll come back and say, you know that decision? I think, I think we should do that. Okay, sounds good. Other times she'll come back and say, You know, I still have a check in my spirit about that, and I have learned to take that seriously, and that has saved me from a number of situations that could have been quite harmful. I've learned to take that seriously and honor her process in making decisions. One time I made a decision, and it was a fairly significant one for all of our family, actually, and I uh, Months, months into it, I realized I, this was the wrong decision. And, and I was really upset about it. And, and I, I went to her and I said, you know, I, I made the wrong decision. And she said, no, we made this decision. I wasn't that gracious of her? Not, oh, Yeah, you're right. That was a dumb thing you did. <laughs> we made this decision. Very gracious of her to honor me in that way. Words matter. Uh, They can tear down. Ephesians, Paul writes, and and put this into the context of any relationship, but certainly a man and wife, do not let any unwholesome or abusive words come out of your mouth, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs that it may benefit those who listen. Look, if we're one flesh, husband and wife, if I talk poorly about my wife, I'm hurting myself. We're one. Instead, I need to verbalize praise and, and uh, appreciation specifically, not dominating the conversation. I need to be careful of humor. Sometimes I'll think I'm being cute with my humor, and I'm just teasing. But then I see in the eyes that it's, it's, we're not all laughing here, and I need to be careful about humor. Humor. Do we treat our spouse as just ordinary or worse? We need to honor the person we actually married, not wish they were someone else. And we shouldn't compare our spouse to other people. Each partner should bring the fullness of the image of God, all that they are, to the relationship and encourage their spouse to do the same. I don't want to ask my wife to be anything less and she is. We need to encourage our spouse's gifts, respect their opinion, enjoy their interests and passions, and not demean and belittle, but learn to speak kindly. It's so important not to discuss our spouse's weaknesses with others, rather praise her in front of others. Proverbs 31 has that, that beautiful section about husbands and children rising up to call the woman blessed, publicly honoring so, husbands you serve you be the servant love is christ's love give self-sacrificingly wives honor your husbands family how do we build a culture of honor in our family among our kids well, we want to act in such a way that they will honor you. There's no question that at certain points, especially when kids are young, they need to be taught what it is to respect and to speak respectfully. But not for our ego. We need to model it more than we demand it. Paul writes, don't exasperate your children. Don't shame them or make them feel dishonored. Our kids will tend to rise to what we express that we see in them. This is what I see in you. Set the bar high. If they know ahead of time they will never please us, then why bother even trying? Thinking the best of our kids, wanting to inspire them up rather than talking them down. If we shame them, if we convince them they'll never be enough, they'll never please us, they will lower themselves to our expectations. Honoring them instills a sense of worth that they matter, that they have value. And then they're less likely to seek affirmation in less healthy spaces, recognizing their value. When I was about five years old, so that was a while ago, I, but I still remember it so well. I was learning how to swim, and my dad was there, and I was a little bit nervous, and I said, look, if I got into trouble, would you jump in and save me? Yes, he would, he said. And, and, but I saw he had his watch on, and this wasn't any watch. This was the watch. This was the watch that my mom gave him when they were both 19, okay? And, and, and this thing was on his arm, and I said, yeah, but you've got your watch on. And he said, I would jump in with my watch on. And i got to tell you, that said so much to me. I'm more important to Dad than his watch. <laughs> <laughs> Say what you like, it meant a lot to me. A woman uh, had crashed her car years ago, and and I I, I don't know why, but it really stuck with me. I said, I'm so sorry about your car. She said, it's just a piece of metal. And I was so glad because then I had that language for the two times that each of my sons (laughs) had a little incident with my car. (laughs) Through gritted teeth, perhaps, I said, it's just a piece of metal. All that matters is you're okay." Practical ideas for imperfect families. First of all, we need to listen. We need to listen. 100%. Can I ask a question my daughter asked it. Just a minute. And just a minute means an hour, okay? So, okay, got to listen. I remember one time I came home from a young adult retreat and I was dog tired. It was midnight. I just wanted to go to bed. And my son came and said, Dad, can we talk? Okay, sure we can. It was one of the best conversations we've ever had. I don't necessarily like everything I Heard from my kids, but I still want to hear it. I want them to tell me, to know that they can, to show a genuine interest in them. Turn the phone off, shut the laptop, give eye contact for the moments that they want to talk. And listen, questions have got to be allowed, okay? There can't be questions that are off the table. God is okay with hard questions, so we need to be, or it will just be pressed underground and they'll ask other people, or they'll feel stupid or shamed for having questions. We need to know; They need to know that our love and approval is not on the table if they ask hard questions. We need to study our child. Study in order to gain a solid understanding of any subject, we have to study them. So we have to get to know our child's DNA, their own personality, their love language, and then celebrate that, their uniqueness. Proverbs said, train up a child in the way they should go. Well, that's a, it's actually a singular, the specific way they should go. Understand them. Not make negative comparisons. Celebrate the child you have, not the one you wish you had. Speak words of affirmation. Praise specifically. Say yes more than you say no, and don't belittle them in front of others or make hurtful comparisons. Keep your word. Be honest. Careful what you promise, but if you do promise it, keep it, and be ready to say sorry. Be ready to ask forgiveness. And if you're feeling like, maybe I haven't done this well in the past, it's, it, you can start today. Trust, believe the best, learn from them, ease them into independence, honor with age-appropriate choices, have them plan a trip or choose an activity or pray or read the scripture at the meal, whatever is age-appropriate, and then honor your adult children by respecting their independence. This is a hard one because I got now all adult kids. I stopped having a teenager in December, and so they're all adult kids now, and I have to remind myself to respect their independence. When I was about 26, I had a decision I wanted to make, and I went to my parents, and I I was really into Bill Gothard at the time, so I had this idea, whatever your parents said, that's what you did. And so I went to them and I said, you know, I have this decision, so they gave me some advice, they advised me a certain way, and I said, okay, because you have advised me on this this way, I will then do this to make this decision. And they gave me the most precious gift that they could have at that moment. They said, if that's the way it's going to be, don't ever ask us for advice again. We will give advice, but you are an adult, and you need to make a decision. That was a precious gift to me. Model honor in front of family. How do you honor those in authority when you're at the table? How do you talk about your boss? How do you talk about those in authority? Because your response will teach kids how to respond to authority figures in their lives. So be careful how we talk about the other parent. Even if that other parent lives in a different home. A church leader, a politician, the poor, another racial group, they're listening. Build a culture of honor by how we talk. So actively listen. Study the person. Speak affirmation. Be honest. Trust and empower. And model honor. And most importantly, it's not too late. You can go to your wife, your husband today to your child today to your friend today and say have i dishonored you be ready to listen not defend and be ready to say sorry and then reevaluate the value of that person and act accordingly passing on the treasure the gifts of faith of love of grace of endurance of honor now look Hopefully in this series you've heard lots of good ideas and there's some practical suggestions on how to, how to do this. But don't forget the most important ingredient. My wife makes pancakes every Sunday. Shouldn't talk about pancakes at uh, near this time of day. But nonetheless... She makes this for our lunch, and she was making it last week, and we were talking, actually, about this very subject and and how we must not forget the Holy Spirit. And she was making the pancakes, and then she put the batter in, and she realized, oh, I've forgotten the most important ingredient. And so they weren't any good. And so I'll put it in after the fact and stir it up. No, she had to start from scratch and put that ingredient in. You know what it was? It was oil. (laughs) I said, Carrie, you've just preached a sermon. We can have all the right ingredients in our family. But if we miss the oil, if we miss the Holy Spirit, the pancake mix isn't going to work. So we've got all these good ideas about how to pass on treasures to our family. But don't forget the oil. Don't forget the Holy Spirit. He is the one who can enable us to do all of these things when we run out of gas. He is the one who can come into our families and enable us to be the husband that he's called us to be, the wife he's called us to be, to be the person of God that he's called us to be. Don't forget the most important ingredient. Let us pray. Oh, Holy Spirit, would you teach us what we need to know, but beyond that, God, would you enable us to be the people you've called us to be, Be that essential ingredient, that oil anointing us as husbands, as wives, as children, as friends, as servants of God. And now unto the king of ages, immortal, invisible, the only God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen.